Uh, the rest of you, I'd invite you to open up to Galatians. It's in the New Testament, partway through. If you don't have a Bible, look at the seat in front of you. You can use that one. Also, if you'd like to follow along with notes, pull out your bulletin, and you can jot down some notes there. There are some in this room who absolutely live for contact sports. And if you're older, you're paying for it right now. Your body is in pain because you loved full contact sports. Others of you in this room think that sounds really painful and that sounds really scary. I still enjoy sports, but I don't want to you know, go through the pain of that. So you kind of go for the kinder, gentler versions of this. When I was a kid, I would often get my buddies together and we would get a game of football going. Now, I know a lot of people in this room are thinking about football, so I thought, why fight that? Let's just talk about it up front. So we can get that, you know, get that out on the table. There's one style of football known as flag football. And this might harken back for your junior high days, PE. We always had flag football going. You know it's kinder gentler when in the advertisement, the guy's wearing dockers and a leather belt, okay? You know that it's not quite, you know, quite as, as painful or risky as the real thing. Now, the other version that we often played was, was two-hand touch. Now, a two-hand touch, not only could you be wearing dockers, but you could be in the street playing it, okay? So once again, you know that this is a kinder, gentler version of the real thing, but it's not real football, right? Real football is a contact sport. It's a full contact sport. Now, I knew that you wouldn't see either of these teams on the screen today, so I thought I'd put them up now uh, so, uh, so you can get that, get that out of your system. Christianity is a full contact deal. Now, there are versions that are cheaper, that are easier, and that are a lot less, you know, risky and painful that kind of pass as Christianity, but it's not the real thing. Paul was a spiritual father to this Galatian church that we're, that we're reading about. And so great was the love of the church for their pastor teacher, Paul, that they would have been willing to sacrifice anything for him. They, they would have given anything for him. Um, so great was their love. Now what he's done is he's written a letter to them. This, this book that we're reading, he didn't set out to write a book of the Bible. He's writing a letter to his friends. He's writing a letter to a church that he was really, really concerned about. And some of the time what we see in Galatians is he appeals to them out of his, out of his scholarly side where he's using airtight logic to show them things. And what we're moving into now is a section of Scripture where he's coming along as a, as a friend, as his pastor, as the pastor, saying, you know, building on relationship. And what we're going to get into is a section where he's basically saying this, guys, look, it's me. It's me, Paul. Remember, and he's going to kind of, he's going to kind of call back to, to mind this relationship that they've had, their own personal history so, so that he can talk to them on that level. Now, one of the absolute best things in life are deep, lasting, and meaningful relationships. Now, a very close second are fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. Now, just like chocolate chip cookies and relationship, neither of those things just happen out of midair. Okay? There are certain ingredients that go into both of these. There's a mixing process that goes into it. Time must pass. And think about this. The heat needs to be turned up in both of these to produce really yummy, gooey chocolate chip cookies and deep, lasting, meaningful relationships. Here's what I want to do today. I want to look. I actually started this message basically as jumping right into what Paul was sharing, what I realized was this, as a precursor to even looking at what he's saying to them, I don't want to skip by this little historical section. It's not history like history books pulling it open and reading it from the cold past. It's personal history. It's Paul going back in his personal relationship with this church. And so we're going to review their personal relationship a little bit. All right, so looking at chapter 4, follow along with me, if you will, and we'll pick it up in verse 11. Because it kind of carries the thought from what he's saying. He says this, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And he says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, 
but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, as we read through kind of these little personal histories, Paul in different letters, we see this in, uh, throughout the New Testament, there's these, little, there's these little slivers of hints at their personal relationship and kind of what transpired. And by, and by looking at these, we get these little glimpses of, of how Paul did ministry, of really how he started the church here in Galatia. And it's very instructive for us. It informs us of what church and ministry are to be all about. So what I want to do this morning is this. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some hallmarks of Paul's ministry that are instructive for us. Now, there are, there are some of you perhaps in this room that are more of the entrepreneurial spirit and God is welling up in you this desire, this gifting, this, you know, kind of thorn in your mind that you can't get out of that you need to go plant a church. You need to go start something new in ministry. The odds are there's very few of you in here. Paul was uniquely gifted to go and build and start things brand new. He was special forces. He dropped into enemy lines and he started something brand new. That's a unique kind of personality. Here's why I think you should still listen today. You go, well, why should I listen if I'm not going to be a church planter? Is this just for church planters? Here's why that's not true. You should listen today because as a Christian, you are called to be about ministry. You are, you are gifted and you are given passion and you are given directive from our Lord and Savior to go be about the mission. So whether that's church planting, which again, I think is a small sliver of our population, or whether it's in one of the many varied other uh, places, everyone here, if you are mimicking Jesus, then you are what we would call, uh, by the way, I, I came across someone recently, I was sharing a little bit about, he said, what do you do? And I said, well, here's what I do, tell me about your church. And I used the word church plant. And he goes, wait, time out, what does that even mean? And I said, oh, you know, that's a new term. It just means a new church. So as I use that term, by the way, I just want to kind of make terminology clear of of what we are, okay? All right, so even if you're not a church planner, if you're mimicking Jesus, if you're following Jesus, then you are about the mission, and therefore that makes you, here's a new word for some of you, a missiologist, okay? You didn't even know, you're like, what did you just call me? I called you a missiologist. Here's what it is. It's those who are concerned with the questions and the strategies of how to complete the Great Commission, right? Jesus says to his disciples what? Go. What? Help me with this. Make disciples. We got it. Um, where? All over. Yeah, yeah. All over the place. Right? And, and he, there's a little nuance to it. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. God's blessed some of you with the gift to teach. Just to walk people through what you know. You're just giving that away. Um, to, 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 to baptize them. And by the way, I'm with you in, in every step of the way of this. So, if you're mimicking Jesus, then you care about things like, God, how does, how does a person engage in the world? How are we to have a relationship with the world? How are we to go about bringing the good news? Are we doing this in the right way? You're thinking strategy, and you're questioning, and you're looking at these different things. So, here are four things I want to just show you from this scripture. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Paul did four things. Number one is he became like them, or he adapted. Paul adapted his ministry. We find that in verse 12. Now, the very specific context of this particular passage is this. Paul became as one who wasn't under the law. Paul was a Jewish guy, therefore he was born into a system that said you're under the law, but Paul became like a Gentile. Why? Because he was ministering to Gentiles. So in the very immediate context, we'd say that Paul adapted, Paul changed so that he could take on what what the people he was ministering to, what their lifestyle was like, which is those not under the law. Write down 1 Corinthians 9, 
uh, starting in verse 19 and just write following. And you can kind of check this passage later out in, in your small group or in your personal study time. I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. Paul says this in a different letter. Even though I am a free man with no master. Stop for a second. Galatians, remember, one of the giant themes of Galatians is it's like a the Emancipation Proclamation for Christians. You're free. Remember last week? You're not sons. I mean, you're not slaves. You're sons. Live out that. So here's Paul saying, even though I am free of, of every man with no master, here's what he says. I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Catch this in our current context. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Do you see a pattern here? Then he says this, Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Do you see that Paul adapted? Paul changed for a very specific purpose, always to bring people to Christ. If I'm with Jewish people, I'm going to, I'm going to live like they do so as not to offend in any way that I can. Here's the application for us. If it doesn't violate the clear command of Scripture and it doesn't violate your conscience, then it's fair game in ministry. Isn't that lid lifting? I mean, when you think about, God, how are people in my office ever going to hear about you? They can't stand Bethmore Bible studies. They don't really like my church. They've tried. I've tried to you know, get them doing these different things. Uh, how, how's it going to happen? As you pray about that, as you press into that, as you ask, you know what God's going to do? God's going to open new doors to you. He's going to lift lids for you. And he's going to have these little whispers. I've had these all the time. Hey, psst, have you tried this? And you go, I don't know. Is that, does that seem to violate anything? I don't think that's a violation of anything. It certainly doesn't violate my conscience. Why not? Let's try it. You know what's so fun about being a junior high pastor? You get to try stuff all the time. You know who loves it? Junior hires. You know how many of them work? I don't know the percentage, but a massive number of things I tried in junior high ministry flopped and failed miserably. You know who are some of the most forgiving people in the world? Junior hires. They knew that I loved them. They knew I was trying. And so we would try things. Sometimes the junior hires loved it, which meant it flopped because it was really bad. But they were like, yeah, let's do more of that. I'm like, no, that was really an insurance nightmare. Had anyone else found out about that? We need to pull back from that one. Okay, that seemed good on paper. Really, really not good uh, from a parental standpoint on that one. If it's, if it's not violating the pants of Scripture, if it's not violating your conscience, gain some wisdom, gather some input, but go for it. Go try it. Paul's going to get somewhere in Galatians 5.13. Uh, just in a few chapters later, he's going to say this. Don't you dare use your Christian freedom to sin. Don't you dare take your freedom and turn it into licentiousness where, where you're just like, sweet, all the, all the rules are off. I get to go do whatever I want. Instead, use every full measure of your freedom, though, to spread the gospel, to minister. Man, I hope that's lid lifting to those who feel boxed in by Christianity. You go, man, I just don't fit in. I'm not a Bible study leader. I don't sing well, and I'm not a preacher. So what else do I do? Man, there, there is so much out there. Here's what I want to make clear. Methods are adaptable, but the message is unchanging. If you're taking notes, write that down, because that's a great thing to put over your computer, over your Bible, if you're serious about ministry. Methods are adaptable. They better be changing. If we're doing the same exact thing 10 years from now, I'd say we have so far fallen behind. Don't you agree? Methods need to adapt. But the message is unchanging. And when we mix those up, we go really off course. The power is in the gospel being clearly preached. Hear this. The gospel doesn't need your help. Okay? You don't need to make it hip. You don't need to make it cool. You don't even need to make it relevant. 
it most of the time won't necessarily be popular, but it's true and it's life-changing. Preach it. The power is in the message. Huge sigh of relief. You mean that means I don't have to memorize all the apologetics to get everything lined up before I share the simple, powerful message of the gospel? That's exactly what I'm saying. So the message is utterly unchanging and doesn't need our help. Now, that said, God gifts people with personalities that are, that are sometimes winsome, sometimes sharp, sometimes quiet and faithful. He gives people with personalities. He gives people with talents, with sensitivities, with abilities, with spiritual gifts. All of those working to build bridges so that new areas of ministry can expand and and go about. We just had Ryan and Amanda up here a couple of weeks ago. You may have remembered them. You may have sat in in your chair like I did and thought, what would it really be like to move from my house next week and fly to Zimbabwe and live there? For the sole purpose of bringing people to Christ. Do I have what it takes to do that? Am I that person? Can I do that? God gifts people. Here's here's an answer for consideration, by the way. Uh, you, You might be surprised. Most people I talk to are unlike Amanda. Remember I shared that Amanda wanted to be an African, a missionary to Africa from the time she was in junior high? She's abnormal. Most people just begin to take steps in ministry and go, man, I just, I just need to keep following Jesus, and he keeps leading me into further ministry, and one day I ended up in, in Zimbabwe. That's how a lot of people's stories go on. Think about someone who's dying of thirst. A person who's dying of thirst needs water, okay? Now, water is composed of H2O, right? We know that little formula. That formula of H2O is what that person so desperately and direly needs. Here's what I want you to think about the, the, the message being. I want you to think of the message of being the life-giving water that, that is handed to people. Now, what's interesting about the gospel, you may have found this if you've tried to share the gospel. Um, I may have a cup of water, and I hand it to Michael here. And Michael doesn't see. Michael does exactly what he just did. He keeps his hands at his sides. And I go, no, really drink. And he's super offended because I'm holding it in a pink sippy cup with strawberry shortcake on it. And he's like, I won't be caught dead sipping anything out of a, you know, of a strawberry shortcake. Is that an old reference? I think it is. No one even knows what that is unless you were a child. Yeah, like, like my, okay. Yeah. All of us my age and older, like, yeah, we get it. Um, so, so, so the method, right? I'm like, everyone always wants it out of strawberry shortcake sippy cups. That's a method. Does it matter if I put water in, what do you like, a cool stainless steel travel mug? That's more your speed, yeah. So I, so I put it in that, and Michael's like, yeah, let me take a sip of that. The cup is the method. That changes and alters depending on who we're with. The life-giving message, the water, I don't tinker with that. That doesn't need help. He still needs water. He needs to, 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 to have it, though. What Paul did was he adapted his methods to the people. Not only did Paul become like the Galatians, check it out, he invited imitation. Still in verse 12, um, I would say it this way. Paul was transparent. What he says in verse 12 is this. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, as I also become like you are. There's this, there's this mutual mimicking going on. What's he talking about? Well, specifically here in this context, once again, his whole buildup to this has been this. Live free as I'm free. Don't be enslaved again to your lifestyle of what it was like before you knew God. You didn't receive God's great grace that we just sang about that's that's available to the rich and to the free, that's available on the mountaintop of ministry, that's available down when you're doing the, the really tough stuff of ministry. You didn't receive any of that by doing any work. That goes against what the nature of grace is all about. Otherwise, you'd just be getting a paycheck. You didn't get a paycheck. You, you, you got a free gift. So live free. Become like me, Paul, who's free. Totally free. I want you to, to live that way. Um, this is actually the first imperative that we see in Galatians. When you're, when you're in the original language, this is the first time in Galatians that we see Paul saying, do something. This is crucial. Do this. And he's saying to his friends here, become like me. Remember what this whole letter is talking about, the fact that they're veering off under some false teaching to put themselves under restraint. 
Now, he could invite imitation because he came and lived in their midst. He was in full contact. He didn't do it Christianity light version. He lived in their midst, and so he could invite them to become like him. Maybe he remembered what Jesus had said um, about salt. Remember what he said about salt? He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, here's, what I, here's, here's what's, what's true. Study after study shows that salt tastes better when it's outside the salt shaker. Okay? I mean, I think it's 100%. Salt, this little tiny pile of salt, releases its power when it's in contact with the food that it's flavoring or the item that it's preserving. Full contact Christianity. Christianity light is just hanging out together, being inside, doing Christian-y things. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Paul took him at his word, and he lived in their midst. Therefore, when he said, become like me, he was transparent. He invited imitation because he lived in their midst. Paul was engaged. Flip over your Bibles for a moment to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, we see just an incredible passage about Jesus. And what we know from the Gospels is that Jesus had a regular job in a regular town. He walked amongst regular people that had seen him grown up, that he knew. He let the town's people's kids sit on his lap. He knew them. He interacted with them. He went to their parties. He went to their weddings. He went to their funerals. He was just, he was just in the neighborhood. And in Philippians 2, what we see is this glimpse of this eternal being that was there at creation, setting aside his deity so that he could come and live amongst us. Verse 4 of Philippians chapter 2 says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. And then Paul's going to launch into some things about Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's Jesus setting aside the privileges of deity and taking on the status of a servant. Catch this. He did more than come and dwell amongst us as God. He became one of us. And then he did something very interesting. In all that he could become like us, he became like us. How was he not like us as human beings? He didn't sin. He wasn't going to take on sin. He came to live that perfect life. So he became like us in every way except that in which he couldn't, which is that he couldn't sin. And then he invited followership. Do you see this mutual mimicking going on? Christ mimicking us by coming and being one of us and then calling us to follow him and be like him. You see where Paul learned this? Paul learned mutual mimicking from Jesus. So Paul went in and said, even though I don't have to do ritual washings, if I'm with the Jews and that's going to freak them out, I'll do the ritual washings. They start, so, so now I'm with Gentiles. If I'm with Gentiles, I'm going to come and be like them. I don't need to do ritual washings. I'm cleansed by the word of Christ. So, so I can go and live amongst them and, and not do the washings and, and participate in the things that they do. Now, if they all go start worshiping and sacrificing to demon gods, Paul's not going to engage in that. There's a line that comes up where he says, I'm not going to do that. That violates conscience. God's told me I should have no other gods before me. But in every way I can mimic them, I'm going to come in and be like them. And then I'm going to invite them to become like me. Here's how he said it in another passage. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Advances in the kingdom, listen to this. Advances in the kingdom are gained when we go. Advances in the kingdom are gained when we risk full contact Christianity. When we go and wrestle with these things. If you aren't wrestling with these questions, 
chances are you spend a majority of your time either around people that think and act and believe as you do or inoculating yourself and just shutting yourself off when you're around those who don't follow Christ. God, it's so hard to be around non-Christians, so I'm just going to shut them out until I can get to my Bible study group. Then I'll feel safe and secure. I know that's tempting for some, but it's not biblical. The Bible has a problem with that because the whole reason that we're in the world is to engage with people and to wrestle with these things. A church doesn't start. Lives aren't changed just because we're in close proximity to the lost and the dying. It only happens when there's nearness of heart, when we engage with people. And that is risky. Amen? If you've done this, you know this. It's painful. It's risky. It's inconvenient. We have a Lord and Savior. You go, how inconvenient was it? It must be awfully inconvenient to set aside deity and come be born of a, of a woman, right? So, so any inconvenience I've ever experienced, I go, yeah, I haven't out-inconvenienced what God's done for me. So let me go at it. I want to show you a verse in Acts 20 um, where Paul is saying goodbye to the, to the leaders, to the, to the Ephesians at Ephesus. And as he's saying goodbye to them, um, I remember reading this when I was just getting started in ministry. In my prayer in ministry, I've said to the Lord, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But if you want to know my desires of my heart, here's what it is. I long to be in one place for a long period of time. That's my heart's desire. I get that people move around and there are circumstances and things that change. But would you put me in a place long enough that the honeymoon can get past and we can get into real deep relationship? Would you do that for me? You know what? This is the third church in my life that I've ever been a part of. God's answered that prayer. My intent is to be here for a really long time. So if you're hoping I'm moving on sometime this year, bummer for you. You're kind of stuck with me, okay? That's been my heart's prayer. And then when I read this as a young, studying-to-be, soon-to-be pastor, it stirred something in my heart. I thought, that's how church and pastor ought to part. And it's not always what I had seen. The first part of it says this. This is Paul talking. In everything I did... I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than than to receive. By the way, awesome picture of team ministry. Paul was a pretty phenomenally gifted guy. You know what he just said? He just said, I showed you, I modeled this, that we must help the weak. Everywhere Paul went when he started churches, you know what he did? He set up a plurality of leaders. He didn't come and set up one superstar and say, everyone follow your king. He set up a a plural leadership. And that's how we lead things here. And then in verse 36, let me put it on the screen so you can see it. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul had engaged the world with these leaders. The bonds that form in the context of serving are some of the deepest bonds that I have in this life. In safety and security, it's pretty easy to pick up and move on, but when you've gone through a war with someone, deep, meaningful, lasting bonds, they form pretty quickly, don't they? I've had some ministry partings that have been sweet sorrow. They've been sweet because they didn't end in some big trial or trauma. They ended because God was calling me on to some new work. And so there was this rending and realizing, wow, we're not going to be day-to-day in partnership with ministry anymore. But how cool it is that we parted with this deep sense of like, and we're going to deeply miss each other. But God's got us going in different directions. This happens when you engage. This does not happen from the sidelines. This does not happen from playing flag Christianity, two-hand touch Christianity. This is all in. This is putting yourself on the line. Here's my question. Ask yourself this. How much of myself am I giving to the progress of the gospel? How much of myself am I giving to other people? 
Who can I call, perhaps in this room, someone who is a kindred spirit, a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a sister in Christ? If you've been coming to this church for a while, I hope you have some names that you can rattle around. I pray for that. I want you to have that. Now, mimicking isn't just about making lemmings out of people. That's not what the gospel is about. Uh, if everyone looks the same, talks the same, votes the same, uh, then we're just like a run-of-the-mill club, okay? I really pray that NBC continues to be a church where your natural weirdness can show through, okay? Last week, Robert gave us a little testimony about, about his kind of weirdness. We kind of picked on this a little bit, chewed on it, men's group a little bit. I really hope NBC is a place where you're like, uh, yeah, that, that, can, that, can, that can shine through here. People can get a bunch of other people together that naturally want to huddle together. People can do that. Where everyone kind of looks the same and acts the same and does the same and spends the same and all of that. But God does something supernatural. God takes people who, outside of Christ, you're like, I can't find the bond. I don't see why these people would enjoy being around these other people. And he brings them together. I want you to think about your nose hair for a moment. Okay? I want you to think about one of your nose hairs laying on a white piece of paper. Okay? Now let's get even more weird. Think about your kneecap for a moment. Everyone try to feel your kneecap. Don't touch it. Just feel it. Okay, there it is. You got two of them. What if your kneecap was sitting next to your nose hair on a piece of paper? Okay? I mean, outside of the pain of it. I mean, just, just go with me here. Let's keep going. A tendon. Right? A pinky toe. I take any one of these things by themselves, you know what you'd call it? Weirdo! You don't belong. You're odd. You're gross. <laughs> you know what God does? God takes the weirdos from all corners of the weirdo universe and he brings it together into a family and he calls it a body. And all of a sudden, your eyelash, you're, you're seen for what you are. You're beautiful. You're designed for a very specific purpose. And all of a sudden you go, wow, my weirdness all this time had a reason for it. One of the things I get paid to do is talk. You know, I used to get in trouble in school for talking. Right, yeah, the, yeah, the teacher, the teacher's like, I've had you in school before. Different name, same kid. You, you have things that, that, that have been labeled weird, that have been labeled ugly, that have been labeled oddball. And maybe you've asked this question, God, how does that fit in? How can you use this? I'm not any of those things. And God says, that's exactly right. We only need two kneecaps. We don't need a lot of those. But man, you're vital to this body. My prayer for NBC is this. When someone walks through those doors, we don't look at them as man looks at them. You know how man looks at them? They judge them. They immediately put them on a pecking scale. Am I over or above that person? In economics, in social uh, graces, in style, in whatever. And that's all utter nonsense. But that we would look at people and say, God, how do you want to rope that person into our body? That's what God does. People can do the other thing. All right, not only was um, Paul's relationship to people centered on the gospel, um, he, he also had his relationship to circumstances that were centered on the gospel. Look at verses 13 and 14. Here's how I'd, here's how I'd put this. Paul was flexible. So not only did he adapt, uh, not only did, did he invite invitation by being transparent, number three is that Paul was flexible. Do you see that Paul was in Galatia because of a health issue? He says, I first came to you, and, and it, it was evidently pretty ugly. Um, scholars debate, was it malaria? Was it something to do with his eyes? Because he mentions gouging out your eyes. Something where he came, I'm hideous, you know, and they received him as if he was Christ Jesus. They received him in the Lord. And Paul calls that out. Hey, re remember how you first received me? Here's what's interesting, but before we get on to what's said, which will be next week, just look at this. Paul didn't plan, probably, on starting a church in Galatia. He was there because of a health issue. He probably was on a pause. But it turns out that Paul's problems became great opportunity for the Galatians. So Paul was flexible. 
Here's a question to ponder. How do you view problems? How do you view problems? My hunch is that everyone in this room views problems in a similar way. You view them by what's a priority to you. You put them through this grid of what is most important to you. And then out comes a, a verdict about that problem. Let me show you what I mean. Paul's priorities were the all-encompassing value of being in Christ and bringing others to Christ. We just see that in his life. Let me, let me show you um, just, just two things. One is uh, this. He, he, he prays about a, a thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says this. To keep me from, being, uh, from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. God had shown Paul things that he had not shown anyone else. So he said, to keep me from getting all puffed up about it, um, there was given to me, gifted to me, handed to me, he sees it as, as under God's sovereign rule, a messenger of Satan, a, a, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This is not a bad headache on a bad day. Then he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, anyone know it? My grace is sufficient for you. You know what we sing in this church all the time? Your grace is enough. You know what God's answer was? When he pleaded, please God, I'm being tormented. God's answer, I'm enough. My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you see how Paul filtered his problems? Paul filtered his problems and his pain through the all-surpassing, all-encompassing glory of knowing Christ. And that he really was enough. He prayed like we all would pray, which is to take it, but he accepted the answer when the answer was, my grace is sufficient. Here's the second circumstance. Paul was a full-contact Christian, and sometimes that earns you a free trip to jail. Okay, And that happened to Paul. Um, by the way, you won't go to jail by playing Yahtzee with your Thursday night Christian Yahtzee group. Amen? That's just not illegal. That's not that threatening. No one cares. They're thrilled with that. The enemy doesn't come and torment you for that. You live a full contact Christian life. You begin engaging and saying, God, I'm not satisfied that people across this street don't know you and for whatever reason aren't making the trip across Branham. Would you show me, would you use even me to go reach those people? That's what stirs up trouble. That just might land you in jail. It did for Paul. Here's how he interprets, here's how he filters this bad circumstance. Would you all agree that it kind of ruined your afternoon if you went to jail today? Yeah, it would for me. That'd just be a bummer, right? Here's how Paul filters his circumstances. So we see now he, he filters personal pain. Here's the circumstances. Philippians 1.12 says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's writing this from jail, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Do you see what Paul's priority was? Progress of the gospel and encouraging the brothers in their sharing of the gospel so that the gospel can be promoted. Therefore, he looks at his prison sentence as going, Hot dog! Even the enemies know that I'm in here for Christ. The prison guards are being moved by this. He filtered his problems through what was most important to him. Romans 8 teaches us this, that whether we are in pleasure or in pain today, God is working. One of the things I would I challenge you with last week, read your Bible. Read your Bible often. I don't want to be a legalist about it, but read your Bible every day. If you'll eat every day, read your Bible every day. 
You know what? Reading your Bible every day, it takes your problems and it filters them through eternity. It filters them through God's word. It gives me, it gave me this week, friends, a filter with which to view my problems and say, thank you, God. I thought you were picking on me. I thought you didn't love me. I thought you would abandon me. You haven't. You're working in me. Help me to be attentive and in tune with that. When you engage in ministry, you will encounter roadblocks and pain. Can I be upfront about that? When you engage in ministry, you will encounter roadblocks and pain. So if you want to sign up for ministry and you want to come talk through a ministry plan with Pastor Dave, I'm going to tell you, are you ready to work? Are you ready to take some shots? I am so stoked that you're here thinking about this, dreaming about this, talking about this. Let's do this. But let me be upfront with you. You're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to hit pain. But these oppositions might end up being your loss, but gain for other people. God seems to love to work that way. And lest you forget, just read the life of Jesus once again. Oppositions, roadblock, pain, loss for him who gained. I did. You did. So when it says to lay down your life for your friends, lay down your life for other people, it's not in some mythical, oh, that's kind of a cute thing. That's real. That's real. Here's the application. Uh, Does this mean that you shouldn't plan in ministry? No. It means you should plan diligently when you go and minister. But you should remain flexible, like, like Paul did. So plan diligently, but then trust and entrust your plans to God and adjust. If he had a plan to move in his journey on to here, but he gets stopped up here on a health rehab thing, you start looking at things and say, well, God, why do you have me here? Some of you know this, but a year ago, my father passed away. As I watched dad go through the process of having illness, bring him to the end of this life, you know what he kept doing? He kept saying things like this. Mom and I would be around his bedside, and he'd say, um, he'd say, man, you know what? God must, God must want these nurses that are tending to me to come to Christ. I must still have a reason of why I'm here. That's a real-life example of filtering what, by all accounts, if this is all you're living for in this life, is a terrible situation through through what's most important. Christ was most important to my dad. And bringing others into him is what he had lived his whole life for. So it shouldn't be surprising to me that on his deathbed, here he is making those comments and living that out. We filter by our... Priorities. All right, let me give you one more. The last one is this. Uh, Paul was persistent. And here I wouldn't put a verse on this. I'd say the whole letter is this. Paul was persistent. You know what he's doing in this letter? He's following up on disciples that he had made. Paul knew that raising kids is more than just birthing them. Uh, throughout his letters, you see sometimes he... He visits. Sometimes he longs for a visit, but he can't get there. Often he wrote letters to people. What he's doing is he's sitting down with Galatians and saying, look, um, I'm your spiritual father. I kind of got this church going. God used me to all do that. But then I had to move away. But I, but I hear the things I'm hearing. So he's following up by writing this letter, by sitting down and taking the time to address their personal needs. There are some charlatans around who, who long to kind of for their own spiritual you know, a trophy case, they want as many hands raised to accept Christ as possible. And they go around and just say, hey, I, I led four more people to Christ this week. Hey, I did this. Hey, I did that. And Christians aren't so concerned with hands raised. They're concerned with disciple making. Christians want other disciples. That's what they're interested in. They're not interested in, in just making quick decisions. They're interested in in. Preaching the gospel, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That takes a long time. That takes follow-up. Now, God gifts certain people to go around and do crusades and do that. I'm not down on all of that. How about you in your ministry? What are the people you're caring for? I want to show you something really quick because uh, one of the things I do in January most often is we, we most often will do something on the church just to kind of 
refresh. Why are we meeting as a church? What is church all about? It seems weird, but we can kind of forget that. And, um, and I didn't do that this year. And then God said, yeah, you're going to do it this year. It's going to show up in Galatians. I didn't know he was going to do it. But it's true, isn't it, that we measure. This isn't an ad for Starbucks, and I'm not getting paid for any, for any of this. But we just use this because it's a, it's a good visual that we see all the time. Um, you measure what's important to you. And I want you to know that as a church, um, we, we've taken these Starbucks cups and we talk about them often. And what this cup represents right here is what we would call worship services. And, and that's measuring the number of people who show up on a Sunday. We measure that because that's important to us. But we don't, we're not just a big show. We're not here to kind of put on a Sunday Christian show for people and we think, wow, we've gone from 80 to 120 to 500. We must be a raving success. I could hand out free pizza and get you know, people who love pizza here uh, and, 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 and fill this cup up pretty quickly. Uh, we also measure, this cup represents um, community groups. And community groups is just one program. It's just one thing. We can chuck community groups tomorrow and still be a biblically faithful church. So that's a method, right? The method could crinkle up and go away tomorrow. Poof. You know what won't ever go away is community. So the real value is community. But how do you measure community? How do you measure warmth of relationship? It's hard to do some of that. You know what's an empirical thing? Is when someone like Michael, I'm going to pick on you all service long, Michael. Uh, when someone like Michael shows up on a Sunday morning and he comes to church and, and over the period of time we see him coming to church and we see him grow in his faith and he says, man, I want to get plugged into this body. And I say, you know what, you should come check out a community group. And all of a sudden he starts going to community group. You know what he's just done? He's moved from, from worship services into something a little bit more intimate, a little bit more risky. He's taken a step. And we can empirically measure that movement right there. So we're, we're keeping score kind of horizontally because we can see growth in that. You know what this third cup is? Anyone know what this third cup is besides um, an elder or pastor or two that's sitting in? in? Kurt? Discipleship? Uh, kind of. Service, yeah. Um, we, we, would, we would say the word share. So if someone is using their spiritual gift... They're not just getting fed in, in community group. They're not just uh, relating with the body. They're now putting into practice what they're learning. Share also has to do with sharing the gospel, being a faithful witness as we're all called to be. Do you know what the hardest one to measure is? It's this one right here. Because we can do a service day next month, and we can measure, right, who all shows up to that. There's some real challenges with that. Because um, if that's all you ever show up to, maybe you're just being kind and saying, poor Dave does these service days. I don't want him to be alone, so I guess I'll come help him out a little bit. But, but we are trying to view, how, how can we measure? You know what's a great success is when we see someone that shows up at worship service and God moves in their heart, even though we talk about community groups all the time, one day they just say, you know what, I, I need to become a, a member of this church, and I need to start fellowshipping with the with the with the with the brethren and, and, and sisters. And so I'm going to join a community group. And then they sit in there, for, and at some point, God stirs them. And they say, "You know what? Um, I think God's raising me up to be a shepherd of people. I think it's time I I leave my own community group for for some other people and bring others along in the way I've been brought along. Can I do that? That's the process right there. We measure that across, and we go, "Praise God! That's God." working. A bunch of people can get a bunch of other people together that are like-minded. It takes God to move those people into fellowship and then moves them into sacrificial, generous giving of their time, of their effort, of their resources. That's a God work. So I bring all that up because of this. He was persistent. If Paul was content to just say, uh, man, I can't wait to gloat to everyone that I've planted 27 churches in 27 days. He wouldn't write follow-up letters. Do you see that? He just wouldn't. He would go around gloating that he started 27 churches in 27 days. Now, that's not what happened. But he cares about people, and he was persistent, and so he pursued them. Let me invite the band to come on up. Um, here's, my, here's my closing words to you. As we bring it kind of back to you... There's probably a few different kinds of personalities in here. One is this. If you aren't in the game, follow Jesus onto the field. Maybe you've been standing on the sidelines and go, that looks really painful. 
while it is, it's also really fun. If you've ever suited up completely and played football or suited up completely and played hockey or another sport that's contact and you just pop one another and you're like, wow, I'm all in one tech. That was stinking fun. I'm going to do that again. Those pads are kind of like what it is. It takes some faith to go in and do that. But God, as you walk with him in that, you will get to go and, and enter into things that from the sidelines look like they're impossible. So follow Jesus onto the field. Get involved in real discipleship and don't accept a fake. Maybe you are a Christian and you didn't realize, I'm a minister. If that's you, get involved in ministry. If you're a minister, evaluate, how's it going? Am I adapting? Am I, am I adjusting the people in ways that I can? Or am I like a conquistador who comes in and says, hey, everyone, you have to dress, vote, and act like me, then you're a Christian. You're preaching against Galatians if you're doing that. So evaluate the, the ministry that you're in. Lastly, if you are not serving in any way, start. You know what elbows are terrible at? Elbows are terrible at being blood. Here's part of how you discover how you fit in a church. You start serving in some way. I've had people come and serve with me, and they said, man, I really want to be in the band. I say, awesome, come on out, we'll audition you. I put my arm around them and I say, you keep singing in the shower by yourself. But you don't belong in the band. You will be a train wreck in the band. Let's move you on to something else. And part of how you discover your ministry is God will stir and lead you in that. I really, really, really wanted to be a professional football player. That wasn't in the cards for me. I kept pursuing. You keep pursuing. We have, a, we have a cultural value at this church that failure is not fatal. A lot of things that of ministries that have been started at this church have flopped. And we're thrilled with that. Because someone stepped out and said, I'm following God and wanting to start something. We say, praise God. We believe in a whole church full of ministers, not just a couple of paid guys. So let's pursue it. Let me pray. God, thanks for showing us what church is about. Thanks for showing us even how to do ministry. I pray, God, that we wouldn't um, idolize methods that worked on us or, or methods that, that work in some arena and try to mimic that in some man-made way. But I pray that we would follow you into kind of the great unknown of what you're leading our church to do through our ministers, that is, our church body, into new ministry fields even this coming year. God, I pray that you'd fill us with a courage that is unreasonable, that doesn't make sense apart from you. I pray, God, that for those who are um, who are sensing that they've been playing Christianity by doing Christiany type things, that you would stir them to move into 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 the deep waters, into what you're really calling us to do and be as as your servants. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.